0: Hi and welcome to Things of
1: Interest. I'm Sophia Prince, and I'm Serena Chen.
0: This week we're going to talk about resilience. Resilience might kind of sound like a buzzword that you've heard at your workplace or at events where people go, everyone needs to have resilience. (laughs) But at its core form, resilience is essentially the ability to bounce back after something damaging has happened. And so Here we're probably going to talk mostly about mental resilience, but understandably physical resilience also exists as a thing in the world. If something damaging occurs to you, you will heal faster, you'll recover, you'll be able to sort of move on faster if you have good mental um, emotional resilience. It's interesting. I've been reading a little bit about resilience lately, and I certainly came from the position where I was like, "Mm, sounds like a buzzword, don't care for it. Um, and then, (laughs) and then after reading it a little bit more, I realized that a lot of the sort of tactics and ideas surrounding resilience are things I either already have because like I've had trauma in my life or they're things that like I've actively tried to develop with my therapist, just not under the name of resilience. And yeah, I was just kind of wondering like, Serena, what are are your thoughts on resilience? Do you think you already have some in your life?
1: Uh, Yeah. And I think everyone does at this point we've all experienced failure we've all experienced rejection we've all experienced burnout and we're still here still functioning so everyone has some form of resilience in them Um, what I would really like to work on just for myself is making that better making that kind of bounce back period shorter and knowing when I'm like heading towards burnout that kind of stuff I haven't really read about resilience or heard about it in any kind of formalised way, but I think it probably is something that we've all kind of gone through just haphazardly and um, and could do with actually talking about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, so a lot of my caution, particularly when initially starting to read about resilience, was that it's often used as a, almost an um, analogue for good mental health. Mm-hmm. When... That shouldn't be the case. Like, I have garbage mental health. It's in the toilet. But, like, I have really good resilience because when bad things happen, I'm quite good at just being like, okay, that's the thing. I'll move on. Hmm. Um, The problem is, like, deeper in existence, like, my brain chemistry when it comes to my actual mental health. And... I feel like maybe resilience is a good thing, but it's all, it also feels very misunderstood. So things like I know inside myself, like I'm very good at dealing with failure. And at least part of that is thanks to my PhD, which was three years of endless failure, because eventually I got to the point where if something didn't work or if I'd wasted upwards of a thousand dollars in an experiment, I no longer sat on the floor and cried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went, okay, next experiment time, I yep. guess. <laughs> on to the next one. And that wasn't really a conscious attempt to, like, develop my resilience or be more introspective about how I deal with failure. It was just, like, it had happened so many times, I no longer had the energy for tears. Mm. Um, Which is not a positive way to develop resilience, but it's a way, for sure.
1: But I think it's a way that, like, most people will start to develop it, is that they just kind of have to deal with it. Like, life comes at you fast, you have to keep moving and that's how we'll all learn in some shape or form
0: yeah because we have to
1: can you identify sort of like any points in your life where you feel like you've
0: developed resilience
1: um probably a lot (laughs)
0: probably many points i was gonna be like was it honors year
1: was it the day that you fell asleep on the lawn (laughs) Honours year is a huge contender for that. Yeah, because honours year was a really strange time for me, um, mental health-wise as well as just, like, general health-wise as well as just, like, general well-being-wise. And it was, it was a lot of things coming to a head, I feel like, that year with the added pressure of honours. And it was definitely a year where I hate bringing up the because imposter syndrome is pretty much a buzzword now. But that was what happened to me in Honours Year was that I was 100% convinced that I wasn't supposed to be there. And that I had known nothing. And that I was a huge dummy. And, you know, I I was just someone dressed as a a physics student kind of blending into the background and that got to the point where it was so bad that like me projecting that outwards meant that not only did I believe it but I feel like other people started believing it too oh. um which kind of like fed back because you know how those feedback works mm. loops work yeah and it kind of came to a head right a month before our theses uh, theses were due and it was like holy crap I still don't believe I can do this. I still don't believe I'm any good at this. I don't think I belong here, but the show must go on. I have to get through this and I have to just output something. And I think that's when I learned how to stop my talk back or like the, you know, that spiral of negative thoughts that goes on inside your head that just keeps going on and repeating and repeating and To the point where you're thinking the same things over and over again. You get caught in the loop and it goes nowhere. It's not productive. It doesn't help you understand anything. And you're just stuck. So about a month before our theses were due, I had started writing nothing. I spent like two weeks customizing my uh, LaTeX template. (laughs) Classic me. But that was the point where I stopped that loop I stopped that negative loop and I thought this is going nowhere I just have to do this like out of necessity I have to in earnest write my thesis I just have to do it and it might be shit it might be crap people might laugh at me I don't care I just have to do it and that's when I learned how to break out of that loop of just spiraling negative thoughts and that's it's a problem that comes up a lot now still but I think I'm starting to notice myself getting in them and because I'm starting to notice that more I'm starting to be able to try and stop myself more I'm not always successful I still stay up till like four in the morning just on a constant negative loop but I think noticing it is the first step and that's and in honours yeah that's that's when I (laughs) learn how to notice it I don't know that's a very specific example of a lot of resiliency things
0: it's really good it um it resonates a bit with some of my experiences where often the way I get out of like really bad depressive cycles is like frustration more than any other emotion it's just like oh for fuck's sake yeah I'm just gonna get this done Mm. (laughs) get out of my way depression
1: yeah um it's kind of like when your room is a mess for weeks and weeks on end and you feel shitty and then one day you wake up and you're like I can't do this anymore I can't live in this messy and you just clean everything it's more out of yeah out of frustration than out of you know some kind of divine realization that your environment and your mental health is in a in a bad state and you need to fix it
0: yeah no I will sometimes snapchat people from like my bedroom and just be like I'm sorry it's peak depression room welcome to it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I like Mm. and also like with imposter syndrome like I definitely had quite a lot of that during the first part of my PhD because I was just like, why have they let me do a PhD? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I'm an idiot. Why have you let me in here? Um, and weirdly, again, like what fixed it essentially was frustration, right? Like
1: mm.
0: My primary supervisor is very bad at giving praise even if he thinks you're doing well but it's very uh. good at telling you when he doubts you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And boy, did I get, like, a lot of doubt for him. And eventually, like, my sort of imposter syndrome, this feeling that I wasn't good enough, turned into, like, more of a pickheadedness where I was just like, no, fuck you, I'm great. Like, how dare <laughs> you keep doubting me? I've got years of lab experience. Get out of here. Um, and, like, that was sort of the preamble to me, actually, like, standing up to him and being like, no, these experiments are right, and I'm just going to mm. do them. Um, mm. And it's funny now because, like, you know, I have uh, I have therapy and, like, every meeting my therapist will have like a couple of questions that she asks to just kind of track my mental health state and one of them is always like you know have you had any thoughts of you know how you think you're worthless I'm just like and last meeting I was like no I'm incredible and then I just like <laughs> kept going with the story I was telling before and yeah so it was sort of a combination of like wanting to show someone else that they were wrong Mm. but also just the fact that like I just started doing positive self-talk like all the time it's just like you know what actually I'm great at this like Mm. or if I'm not great at it I can learn and I think that's the biggest change in thinking and I mean this goes back to like huge amounts of studies done with like um children in education um where often if uh young boys do something well they get praised for working hard whereas yes young girls do something well, they get praised for being good at that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a lot of where imposter syndrome uh, comes from, particularly in people who are raised as women uh, when they reach young adulthood. And they're just like, I've always been good, but now what if I'm bad? (laughs) (laughs) Like, and I don't feel good. Whereas like, if you're growing up, grow up and you're told that you tried really hard, then obviously like you can continue to try. And Mm. that movement and thinking from I am inherently good. And so therefore, if I am not good at this thing, then I am inherently bad or you know, neutral, which is also bad really um, <laughs> to I'm either good at this thing already. And that's great. Or I can learn how to do this thing and that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that shift in how you approach problems really. Uh, and that's, that's a bit of resilience as well, right? Like when you have a challenge, Instead of being like, "Oh God, no, this is a mountain I have to climb," being like, "All right, this is a problem I get to solve. Let's go, yeah, solve it."
1: <laughs> I think that's another thing that Honors Year taught me as well is just to because I was so convinced that I was bad at everything, I tried really, really hard, and and in the end, that really paid off. Like, it, it's so funny. Um, we had one of our final assessments for um the general relativity paper was that we were to present a paper, essentially like um, do some research on a certain subject, go through some derivations and like present a paper on a certain topic. And the other two did um, PowerPoint presentations and because I did everything at the last minute, I didn't have time to make a PowerPoint presentation. So I just whiteboarded everything and went through the derivations like on the whiteboard and (laughs) at the end of the presentation, when uh, we were walking out of the, the building, one of my classmates turned to me and he said, you sounded like you knew what you were talking about. And I like paused for a second and I thought, huh, maybe it's because I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and to some degree, that kind of, when you're first hit with the realisation that like you're not immediately good at this thing that you're trying to do that can be really discouraging but throughout that year i think i what i did learn is to just work my ass off truly work my ass off which is i feel like for some people growing up we never had to do and that's not because we're smart or that's not because we we're talented it's just because we happened to think a certain way that allowed us to get through school really easily and so to to get to a point in real life where to face a challenge where you actually have to try hard like that was a really good kind of slap in the face for me and what I've learned from that experience is that growth and learning feels bad <laughs> It feels uncomfortable when you're doing it. Like, it feels great after you've learned something new, after you understand a new concept, uh, after you've gained a new skill. That feels amazing. But, like, when you're in the middle of doing that learning, doing that growing, it feels hella uncomfortable. And you have to be okay with that, and you have to kind of get through that. Learning that and knowing that has made me so much better at learning new things, because now when I feel inadequate, uncomfortable, confused, um, my brain hurts. That's a good sign. That's, I'm taking that as a good sign that I'm learning something new. I'm changing the wires in my brain. I'm changing how they link up. I'm changing how I think and I'm gathering new information. I'm learning new skills and that discomfort and that kind of, I don't know. Like the feeling of having to put effort in yeah yeah like mental effort is good and is beneficial and now i do things where i seek that discomfort so like it's partially why i'm doing judo is because shit, i don't know where my limbs are so (laughs) every time i go to training it is a struggle it is an absolute struggle uh, both mentally and physically because i'm physically not very fit and every time I come out of training, it feels amazing because I've just done something that like I couldn't do before and I'm getting better at something. So I think that's another act of resiliency, uh, another um, mm. kind of strategy and resiliency that I learned from Honours Year was just to embrace that discomfort, to work really hard and to really be okay with the bad feelings that come around mental effort you know what I mean yeah no I absolutely
0: do um one of the biggest things we often have to work with like particular postgraduate students for them to be comfortable with but also with the undergraduates I used to teach was like not knowing things Mm. because they would always feel like not knowing something was like a personal failure And it's just like, no, it's, it's okay. Like we've got Google in our pockets, right? Like you don't Mm. have to know everything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what's important is that like you can, you, yeah. And I mean, what you're describing there is what a fancy business person would probably call a growth mindset. Right. (laughs) Makes you very very agile, Serena. Uh (laughs) Yes, I'm very agile. (laughs) Particularly after judo. (laughs) Um, that's really cool I'm really happy you're having those experiences now as well
1: yeah yeah and I think like something in my mind changed when I don't know we're all human and when you feel discomfort uh, when you don't feel good it's natural for us to shy away from it especially if like you grew up as a kid not used to feeling that way so to have like that kind of change in mindset in my brain so that now when I do feel that discomfort when I do feel kind of stupid and I do feel like and a lot of times like I do feel stupid I feel bad I feel frustrated that I can't learn something quick enough that I'm not getting it and maybe five ten years ago I would have just stopped doing the thing that I was trying to do but now I understand that that's my brain learning and to keep going and to keep putting in the effort and I think that's helped out a lot for me at least is to really embrace that feeling of discomfort.
0: Yeah, I um, I sort of approach it by trying to engage in things I'm unfamiliar with. Um, yeah. So my friend Nat is, like, a big deal on the Singapore poetry scene. And mm-hmm. when I was over there, it loaded me up with books um, from Singaporean authors, so sort of singlet. And I'm reading them, and I don't – like, it's all – new to me like it's all unfamiliar to me and I'm Mm. really enjoying that feeling of my brain having to be like what is this this is a new thing this is a like different style of writing this is a different way of telling (laughs) stories these are new stories and new situations um I'm having a really good time with that
1: what about you um what are some kind of strategies or acts of resiliency that you've learned so I've had like depression my entire life
0: and weirdly, one of the years that I was almost the least depressed was my honours year, because hmm. I finally had a reason to feel that bad. Right. And a lot of people in my year, like, got really anxious and, like, didn't deal with the stress very well. And I went into I'm like, oh, oh, I feel this, like, I feel this, like, worried and sad all the time. Like, this is fine. <laughs> like now I just have a reason to feel worried and sad and so instead of being like super different and weird compared to everyone else I'm actually just experiencing the normal range of human emotions <laughs> um so that was like <laughs> probably not how most people uh, experience honest here. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah it was just kind of a relief for me because like I could just be like okay I feel this way and then get on with my shit because mm. part of the thing like particularly with having mental illness is like you're worried about the fact that you're different to other people. Mm. And so, yeah, you have depression and you're sad all the time and you can't tidy your room or cook for yourself or like just do things, depending on how your like depression presents. And that makes you different and that's really stressful and you don't bring people around to your place because your room's really messy and you're embarrassed by it or you don't hang out with your friends because like you haven't managed to take a shower in a couple of days and you're really worried you smell bad and you're different. I got Mm. to my honors here and everyone else was struggling and I was like oh yeah I've had to deal with this since I was like eight homies like do you want my tips like I can give you a hand um and that was really cool because like as well as sort of you know being normal like I could also help my friends who never had to deal Mm. with those kind of emotions like essentially essentially imposter syndrome right like feelings of worthlessness like having to learn but having to learn in a completely different way to the last like you know 16 years of education that that had because your honors year in science is heavily physical and very little that you do up in lab science not so much theoretical physics
1: no Um, but everything we're still using the same writing muscles in my hand (laughs) (laughs)
0: still using the same heavily tweaked latex templates yeah Um, but everything we did before then pretty much was like the exception of a couple of lab courses was thinking and like examining and writing and learning. And that's still really important because you need like a basic understanding of, you know, cancer genomics before you can do an honors year and like do lab work in cancer genomics. Otherwise you don't know what you're doing or why you're doing it. Um, but it also means that you took, you know, we had about 12 of us, 12 really smart people who have been told, like, pretty much their entire, like, schooling careers that they are intelligent, that they are special, that they are good at what they do. And you've made them do something completely different to everything they've done before in an area <laughs> that they have been told that they're heavily skilled at. And they're not yeah. good at it um, <laughs> because they're learning. Like, it's an entirely new experience. Like, yeah, we've all used to prepare before, but we've never had to design our own experiments. And that's mm. really difficult. And that's a huge learning curve. But because, like... We are sort of picked up as being like, you know, the cream of the crop. Like typically we're those people who, like you said, have a way of thinking that's worked with the school system. Like there's a reason my autism didn't get picked up until I was 22. And it's because my special interests happily always aligned with what I was being examined on. Right. Like, mm. you know, I was smart and that's fine. But like smartness is also a bad word that doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah. yeah. It means nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like when I say I was smart, I mean, smart was often used as, as a descriptor for me hmm. um, as was everyone else in my class, but it was a really nice experience to be able to turn around and go like, Oh, okay. Like you're really anxious and you don't feel like you're achieving anything. You should write to-do lists. Like I had a sticker chart because I know that works for me because um, I'd used it to like deal with assignments and examinations before. And every time I did something good, I put a sticker on the chart um, under like different headings, mm. and I always had a heading for self care. So like when I was like I'm really tired, I'm going to go home early. I put a sticker under self care because like nice you need to actualize looking after yourself as an achievement. Otherwise yes. you don't do it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you fall asleep on the lawn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm going to stop making fun of you uh, about that.
1: It, just it is might... a pretty wild story, and <laughs> like I kind of can't believe it happened. When I tell it to other people, because it's like I wasn't even like it was two p.m. I no not a drop of alcohol in my body. <laughs> the one time I didn't make it home, I was just sleep deprived.
0: <laughs> Look, in third
1: year, I forgot to eat for like five
0: days once. Oh uh, yeah, and then I was yeah. like really angry and tired, and my housemate was like, "When did you last eat?" And I couldn't remember, and he was like, "I'm gonna cook you dinner. Ah. You're an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, we all have those stories of just being incapable of adulting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, like that was probably quite a big turning point for me. Um,
1: Mm.
0: Like particularly for that year, it was just going like, oh, like I actually have all these techniques that I've had to learn because my brain doesn't produce serotonin properly. But they're actually really good techniques. And as much as I feel Mm. like I'm sort of furiously treading water trying to stay afloat like I'm actually pretty good at treading water now and that's a really good Mm. thing particularly like since starting medication and like now that we've sort of tweaked my medication so it works better those techniques are things that I can use when I'm experiencing like normal human levels of stress as opposed Mm. to like my brain is melting and everything is terrible levels of stress I think like that's that's sort of a big thing for resilience and I certainly don't say or recommend that like you know best way to develop resilience is to have bad mental illnesses um but like I had to
1: run the gauntlet but yeah. in doing so I got really good at running the gauntlet yeah what are some other things that you've learned throughout your time of running the gauntlet because you've you've mentioned sticker charts for like self-care as well as other things that you want to achieve what are some other things that have been good for you just going to bed <laughs> like yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. I will often hit a point in the evenings and I still do a little bit now where I will be tired and then just like my life will fall apart and I'll just be like I'm so alone no one understands me I feel so incredibly bad like so much of my life has been suffering and that is the sign that you should go the fuck to sleep (laughs) (laughs) like yeah it's just like at the end of a long day when I'm tired I get really depressed and it's just like well when that happens I go to bed like, mm. that's fine. And that was, that was a really, really good trick. Um, like I said, like, in, in third year, I, like, forgot to eat for five days once. Um, I will now, if I'm in a position where I might forget to eat, so, like, that's actually one of the things that working in an office has been really good for. So everyone goes mm. to lunch at kind of the same time. And, like, we have, like, a mall full of food places right downstairs. Mm. But, like, if I am in a position where I'm forgetting to eat, like, I'll just set an alarm on my phone. Be mm-hmm. like, hey, go have lunch, you idiot. <laughs> like, you know, and generally it'll be at like 2 p.m. So I give myself mm-hmm. the opportunity to have lunch. And then the alarm's there to be like, have you had lunch? Get it together. Live your best life. <laughs> really one of the things has been, my, my therapist talks a little bit about catastrophizing, which is like when something happens and you freak out about it and you're like, holy shit, this is the worst thing to ever happen. My life is going to fall apart. Nothing is ever going to be okay again. Everything is over. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just like, you know, something happens and you kind of freak out about it and often you can spiral and that's not good. Um, <laughs> I try to be very practical with everything that happens. And like I very much sort of take the attitude that like things have happened in the past. I can't change them. What I can mm-hmm. do is move forward. Yes. And mm-hmm. sometimes moving forward means addressing things that have happened in the past. So like apologizing for like times that you were shitty to people. And, like, I've done that, you know, like, years later to people I was in high school with who I was, like, kind Mm. of a dick to at the time. (laughs) Because, yeah, you're 15. You're kind of a dick
1: to everyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) And sometimes that just means, like, moving forward. Just being like, okay, fine. Like, can't do anything about it. I have had, like, I tend to be quite blunt with people about what I need from friendships and Mm. I expect them to be similarly blunt with me that is not always a correct expectation and it's something (laughs) I'm trying to cut out a bit Um, but this is like it's essentially because I'm autistic I'll just say hey I always seem to start conversations can you text me first sometimes Mm -hmm. and that will be like the entire thing and I did this with a friend sort of at the beginning of last year and she got incredibly angry with me and was like you know how dare you kind of thing and she was going through a lot of the time mm-hmm. and i understand that she didn't tell me so i couldn't take it into account and maybe i'm just being like very autistic about it but like she should have told me um, <laughs> and that really upset me at the time and like this is sort of really as well illustrates the fact that, like i am still learning to do this and i am still getting better at this um hmm. And then sort of later in the year, I had a little bit of a cancer scare in the sort of, cause I had surgery to look for endometriosis and I'd had a conversation with my surgeon where I was like, well, what if it isn't endometriosis? And she's like, look, there's a small chance it's endometrial cancer. We're going to take a sample to check for that. Mm. And when I woke up after my surgery, the nerd I had said, you don't have endometriosis. And I was like, oh God, uh... <laughs> oh God. Oh no. <laughs> and so I got back in touch with her because I reasoned that that's what I would have wanted if our positions were reversed if i had been angry at her because i was having a bad mental health time and she'd been totally reasonable um (laughs) like if something that bad had happened in her life i would have wanted to know Mm. and so i told her and i said like look this is my situation this is what's going on like i know that you have a lot of stuff going on in your life right now i just thought like yeah if our positions were reversed i would have wanted to know Mm. And she, she replied something along the lines of like, hope it works out. Like making it very clear she did not care. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, okay. This friendship is over. Mm-hmm. Like there's no coming back to this. Like there's nothing I could say or do that, you know, would make her want to talk to me again. Cause like, if you think someone you used to be incredibly close with has cancer and you're like, fine, whatever. Mm. like that probably means the friendship is dead right like (laughs) oh not a good sign and there was a point where it just clicked in my mind I'm like okay gotta keep moving forward yeah yeah and I wasn't upset about it like when I really was when we first like sort of fallen out at the beginning of the year and I think part of that upsetness came from like not knowing essentially where we were going Mm. and now I try to be like a lot more introspective particularly when I fall out with friends and like make sure that my emotions are justified um and so it's similar like I right after my birthday last year um told some very close friends of mine about someone they knew who had sexually assaulted me and they stopped talking to me and I'm real angry about that like yeah that's rough yeah Yeah. (laughs) and this is something that I know is justified because I've talked to my therapist about it and she was like "Mm, this is legit (laughs) but like I wasn't at the time again like I was upset because a lack of information is something I have a lot of problems with. But after Mm -hmm. like a couple of months, I was just like, you know what? No, I can't bring myself to care about people who like clearly don't care about me. And I think that just kind of like breaking down your emotions and going like, where is this coming from? Is this justified? And like some of your emotions, you absolutely have to validate before they go away. Like I had to, I had to be upset about that friend for a while and just be like, Mm -hmm. man, like I'm, really sad that this friendship has broken down like and that's legit but then after a while it's like why would I be upset about someone who didn't like when I told them about a sexual assault just like ghosted me like that's bullshit (laughs)
1: um yeah I think that's also like a a thing that you learn to do throughout the years especially with like friendships and relationships is you hit that point where it's like I could keep putting in effort Mm. but is it so bad for me to stop putting in (laughs) Effort. Uh, And when I say effort, I mean like effort in uh, feeling upset about what's going on, feeling like going through essentially a grieving process of how everything has fallen apart and putting in the effort to try and make it right again, to try and make everything okay again. You get to a point where, and I think this comes with growing up and this comes with maturity, you get to a point where it's like, okay, look, I mean... Sometimes things just don't work out and we could argue back and forth about like right and wrong and like who should be doing what, who should be saying what, but it's not going to go anywhere. So you kind of reach a point where it's like, all right, that's cool. I'm going to go this way. You're going to go that way. And that's, that's okay. Life keeps moving on. And I feel like that's also a kind of like resiliency in how we deal with our relationships to other people. And, like, sometimes you'll look at a situation and you'll be like, no, 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 I am going to put in the effort. I am going to invest my my time and energy and, like, emotional well-being into this because, because I don't know, maybe it's uh, early days, maybe, like, uh, something matters enough to do that. But sometimes, I think as a kid, I think when you're young, everything matters. Everything yeah is of the utmost importance and you can't lose a single thing and it's like every relationship is of the utmost importance and not being such close friends like you could still be acquaintances even like not being such close friends with someone anymore is like world shattering Yeah. yeah but I think as we grow up you learn that it's okay for people to change and to move on and That's totally cool. And sometimes it's better (laughs) for us mental health wise to be like, okay, no, well, there's some things that have happened. There's some differences there. I don't think we can go back to the relationship that we had before. And that's just life. And to learn when to decide that that's okay and to decide to part ways without sinking so much emotional effort and time, and I think especially like in the past, like those are the kinds of situations where I have gone down into like negative mental loops where you're thinking through the same thing again and again. Because I am one of those people who hate to, I, I don't want to be wrong about something. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, like, one of my biggest fears is that I'm being a dick to someone and no one's telling me. Yeah. You know, like, I'm doing something wrong. I'm causing some kind of harm, and I just don't know about it. No one's letting me know that's l- sincerely my biggest fear. So I get caught in these like negative thought loops where it's like you run through situations in your head over and over and over again, like did I do everything right did like was I an actual dick? did I you know like what you were saying, were my emotions justified? Am I right to think that this is a shitty thing? Am I right to feel hurt? Am I, you know, and you go over it again and again and again and again, and you sink so much time and effort and you feel exhausted afterwards. And for me at least, learning how to deal with that is just learning how to recognize that you're in that loop and to recognize that, hey, maybe it's time to just like let go (laughs) and move on and because you've got other shit to do in your life yeah. <laughs> you know that's that's a skill in itself is just knowing when to keep putting in effort and knowing when to be like okay yeah that's that
0: I think legitimately one of the phrases that has been like the best for like my mental health and my resilience is just I don't have time for this because <laughs> yeah. like, it's a really easy way to break a negative cycle loop without like you know, having to be positive, which in that um, situation you might feel is a lie. Like there are some studies that suggest that like positive self-talk, like particularly when like um, instructed by a therapist or counselor can Mm. actually result in greater, like worse feeling because like you feel like you're lying to yourself and like you'll think up things that are the opposite of that. Whereas because I don't have time for this is like a very neutral statement. It just breaks It's like serious black and Azkaban, right? Like. Mm -hmm something that is well known as a um, metaphor for depression where he stayed sane by just thinking a very neutral thought. Like you break yourself out of very negative cycles with neutral thoughts, not with good thoughts. And so like, I don't mm. have time for this is like, cool. let like, I'm out.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's but a I'm great better one. better do something else.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, something that does like, the, it will, it will be very obvious throughout the course of this episode that I have mixed feelings about like resilience as a cultural thing, as opposed to like a personal health thing um, is that mm. I feel like a lot of the time it can be used in workplaces as a way of pushing responsibility for mental health onto the individual, as opposed to like having a critical look at like what things a workplace
1: could do to improve resilience. Um, huh. And that Tell war- me more about this workplace thing, because <laughs> in my workplace the word resilience hasn't really come up ever. So, so I don't really know what it means in an organizational form. Yeah,
0: so I want to be very clear in, like, um, my current workplace. I think they do have that dual approach to sort of mental well-being. So, like, this month we're doing, like, a sleep challenge where we track our sleep um, to make sure we're getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. And, we're like, on the app that's tracking it, it'll give us, like, tips for better sleep and, like, sleep hygiene, which, like, I've heard a lot about because like I've been seeing therapists since I was 15. Turns out people who don't see therapists all the time have no idea about sleep hygiene. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so like my workplace absolutely does that. Like, hey, we want you to be healthy. Here's an official thing. They also like listen to people. So like there's regular surveys surrounding like how we feel about the workplace itself, how we're engaging with things. And there's a really good employee assistance program. So want to be very clear, love my workplace, does a real Mm. good job with mental health, has been really supportive with my mental health as well. Um, And so when I talk about like resilience in a workplace situation, um, a lot of the time resilience is put forward as this idea of like an individual taking control of their response to failure or to bad situations. I think in Mm. consulting, we can deal with failure a lot because we deal with clients and they won't always like things. <laughs> and so we can hand them something and be like, this is the greatest thing I've ever created. And the client will be like, no, I hate it. <laughs> um, and that's a possibility that you have to be ready for and you have to be resilient to because like you can't then start crying. like It doesn't go down great, I feel. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this this idea that resilience is very much an individual way of responding to failure or to difficulties or to challenges. And that's, that's true. I worry that when a workplace puts it forward as a like, you know, sort of black box solution, Mm -hmm. it means that they don't have to be concerned about things like general workplace health. And I've definitely seen this um, with PhD students. So a lot of the time we, as PhD students, as a cohort, will get talks from someone like a professor or someone from the um, counseling program who would talk to us about resilience and how we needed to learn how to deal with failure and how doing that would mean that we'd be perfectly okay as PhD students while not actually looking at like the ways that a structure of PhD causes like extreme stress or doing anything to kind of support us through that. So it kind of felt like the responsibility for our individual mental health was being very much pushed onto us rather than looking critically at, like, you know, the structure of the PhDs we were doing or the environment in which we were doing it or, you know, like, any of the other numerous stressors that can occur, like, within, like, a PhD experience and specifically within our PhD experiences that were being shared. Mm. So there's stuff like I was very sick near the end of my PhD and some of that was definitely the fact that my body was legitimately not good. Like, I'm still having impacts of like the chronic injury that was exacerbated during that time but i also have another friend who's currently finishing up a phd and she's very sick as well and it's just kind of like oh that seems like a weird coincidence that we both got sick when we were at the same stage of our phd like yeah. oh it's almost like any part of it could be stress related mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh that's so weird someone someone should like tell someone <laughs> and i mean like i say all this like my phd was done pretty much in a hospital right so mm. And I know that like hospitals generally aren't very good at mental health or indeed health um, of their actual staff members, whereas the people who attend the hospital are generally yeah, they look after them pretty well. yeah, but mm-hmm. it still outrages me every single time that it's just like we're awful at dealing with the mental health of people who work at or in hospitals, yeah, and often we do them a huge disservice. Like, I know when I was sort of, like, heading out students' organisations, I had a number of PhD students and other postgraduate students come to me and just be like, my mental health is in the toilet. I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, you should go see a counsellor. But also, here are all your other options. And it would always feel very bizarre that, like, a lot of the time, particularly after we started getting these talks on resilience, people would say, I feel bad because I feel like I should be more resilient. Right.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's like, well, that's really not the message people should take away from resilience. That's the it's the opposite like...
1: of what we want. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's part of the problem of like how, you know, individual corporations, organizations, groups of people communicate those ideas, right? Like mm. resilience is good. The ability to recover quickly from problems is good. But if you don't have that, that's not bad. Mm. You know, it's like and yeah, it's difficult, I think, particularly for scientists, because we try and think very black and white in terms of things like yeah. the data is either significant or it is not like this is either clinically important or it is not mm. like and it, it's very easy to try start to apply that black and white thinking to your own life. And sometimes it's good. It helps you make better decisions. Like and I say this speaking as an autistic person who sees a lot of the world in black and white because of this. Um But to understand that like one thing can be good and the opposite can be not bad is really important when it comes to mental health. And by pushing this responsibility onto individuals to be resilient, you have to be very careful to not give them the entire responsibility for their mental health. Because then you start to feel bad for feeling bad. Yeah.
1: And that is how people get incredibly sick. (laughs) This reminds me a lot of the messaging around, is it Mental Health Awareness Week right now? Yes, it is. Yes, And it was recently Are You Okay Day, which I fucking hate. Recently what day? Are You Okay Day. Okay, so this is what I was about to say. Like, this reminds me a lot around the, the public messaging around Mental Health Awareness Weeks, days, whatever, is a lot of it is just like, hey, I want you to know that it's okay to reach out for help, which sounds great. And like, of course, of course, it's okay to reach out for help. Of course, like people should know that, of course. But that's another thing where it's placing the responsibility on the individual to reach out when they're already in a very bad place and they're already in a place where they might not want to reach out. Whereas maybe something more helpful would be, hey, think of a friend who, you know, you haven't seen for a while, maybe check up on them. Think of a friend who might be going through something tough. Maybe check up on them. Like the the kind of, and you see this kind of pattern with a whole lot of other things like um, equal pay and the gender pay gap. Hey, maybe, woman, you should be going out there and negotiating your pay. Of course, of course you should be going out there and negotiating your pay. But maybe there's some larger, more structural, systemic changes that we can make as well to make, to facilitate that change on the individual and to make that easier Um, libby great
0: news posted a very good thread about this the other day where Mm -hmm. she was essentially like you cannot ask people who are in bad mental health states and maybe the worst mental health state of their life Mm -hmm. to reach out like that's a bullshit question like that's a bullshit request Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially she was nicer about it
1: and more eloquent um but that was the basis of it But yeah, that's totally true. It's like if someone's in such a bad place, they should not have to do the work of reaching out. The community around them, the people around them should be like, huh, I haven't heard from this person in a while. Maybe I'll just check in. Well, hmm, this person's, they've got their PhD coming up. Maybe I'll be like, hey, how's it going? Just real cash and uh, making that step from outside in. And if you want to be a supportive friend, because I'm sure there are people
0: listening who are like. Yes, absolutely, but how do I do that? Mm. Um, You can just set reminders on your phone. So I do that sometimes. Mm. If I know someone's having a bad time, um, I will set, like, a weekly reminder to just be like, hey, just check in with this person Um, or, like, buy this person a voucher to Lush. Like, (laughs) (laughs) those are all little things. Um, And, like, sometimes it's easier to do stuff in the moment. Like, I've bought friends, you know, like, uh, yoga sessions uh, because I know that that's something they really like and I know that they have been really stressed and so I'll just buy them a little voucher and send it to them and that will be a helpful thing that I can do and those are things I can do because like, you know, I am have a mental illness, I'm currently still notably physically disabled, yay, so I can do a lot of stuff from my phone <laughs> and I can't do very much stuff in person um, And so, like, that's sort of how I work really hard to support my friends. Um, If, you know, I know someone in someone's life is very sick or has died, uh, I will set a reminder, like, a week from that day to just be like, just check in with them again. Mm. Because often in the moment of, you know, like, grief or extreme stress or anything else that's happening in your life, you don't really have the capacity to accept a lot of support. Mm. And there can be elements of support that it takes energy to accept, And you just might not be up to that. And I know, like, certainly after, like, major deaths in my life, I have not wanted to speak to anyone who has not been through the same experience as me. Mm. Um, And so, like, giving it a week and then just checking in with people and being like, hey, how are you doing? Like, anything I can do for you, tell me about your day. Mm. Um, And that gives people the option of either talking about the thing that has stressed them out um, or the things that are going on in their life or just having a very neutral conversation because – Again, like, and I know this because, like, I've had these really traumatic experiences in my life. After sort of a week or two weeks, you get to
1: the point where you want to feel normal again. Yeah, just to have a normal conversation.
0: Yeah, and so to have someone say, we can talk about this if you want to, but also, like, how was your day? Mm. Um, That's a really, really helpful thing as well. And, like, it can be difficult to know how to help. The conversations around mental health are very difficult because I know personally i try to be very good with like activating my support networks with their powers combined Mm. um and then i get very very grumpy when those support networks like don't do the thing (laughs) (laughs) um so like this last week has been really tough for me so i've activated my support network and barely any of them checked up on me Mm. and so like i sort of i recognize that it is difficult to support people but i also recognize that like when I am the individual that's being affected by that, I'm just very angry all the time and I can't communicate that very well. So I want to like, yeah, I want to communicate some things about how to support people better. Mm. Um, Because often the person who is affected, who is stressed, who like has had things happen in their life is not in a position to lay out to you how to support them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's also, it's tough to know how to do that.
1: Yeah. Um, What do you do when you're really stressed? Just sort of like chill. So I've been quite stressed for the past month and a half now and I haven't been helping myself in that because I keep signing myself up for more things to do, which is just, sure, okay, yeah. But I don't know, something that's helped me a lot is a while back I read something that said that anxiety and excitement biologically in your body are exactly the same. And that, that's helped, surprisingly. Because if you think about it, it's like, what do you feel when you're anxious? You feel, uh, like your heart's beating faster th- than normal, but like kind of weakly beating. Your tummy feels a bit weird. Um, you feel hot and cold at the same time. Uh, your breath might be shallow and quick. And, and that's anxiety. And then, you think, well, what do I feel when I'm excited? It's like, okay, well, my heart's beating pretty quickly, but like, it's shallow. My tummy feels a bit funny, and and like I'm breathing a bit faster, and like temperature doesn't really make sense anymore. And you start to realize, oh, okay, no, that makes a lot of sense. Excitement and anxiety feel the same. And it's just how, it's just the context around it and how we approach it that changes whether it's a positive thing, excitement, or a negative thing, anxiety. And that's helped me a lot with coping with the stress of all the things that I have to do, all the things that I've set out for myself to do. Uh, and being a normal human being on top of that, which I'm still not very good at. <laughs> Just like the normal human things of sleeping and eating and showering and keeping a moderately tidy environment <laughs> and like going to work on time. I'm still not very good at that, as my workmates will know. <laughs> but that kind of knowledge that those emotions anxiety excitement are two sides of the same coin has helped me approach stress in a different way so when i do feel stressed instead of thinking oh my god i'm so stressed i need to chill out i've started to think okay i'm stressed my body is stressed i can feel it that is my body preparing me to deal with this problem that's my physical body preparing myself to rise up to this challenge you know my heart's beating faster my blood vessels are constricting I'm getting more blood into my brain that's my body preparing me to meet this challenge and I need to instead of freaking out about how stressed I am which is what I usually do I need to use this moment to use this moment where my body is in a heightened mode to do the things that I need to do and get shit done so that's One way that I found uh, it's one approach that I found has been really helpful with dealing with stress and the other way is just noticing when it's time to go to sleep, which is what you said before, because I have a bad habit that I've always had is just when I'm working on something, I will work on it until it is done and until it is of a quality that I'm happy with. So I will work on it for 32 hours straight, no sleep, no eating, that's fine. Because I will just do it until it's done and it's at a quality that I'm happy with. And that's been really unsustainable, as you can guess. So another thing that's helped me with dealing with the stresses of everyday life is just to say it's late and I'm going to bed and I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. And that's that's been really good. Like before I couldn't do that. But now I think I've got into a place where I understand that it's going to be more beneficial for me to sleep and then do it tomorrow than to just keep going. And the third thing is noticing when you're about to burn out and kind of like easing up on all the things that you need to do. And that's something that I'm still kind of learning as well, is just noticing when I'm stressed for too long. Because usually stress is like a temporary thing. You you get stressed thinking about a certain thing, you do a thing, you get less stressed. you get stressed again thinking about something else, you do something else, you're less stressed. But when that stress becomes more permanent, that's when it's time to prioritize the things in your life and let the things that aren't a priority just fall away and being okay with that. Like I'm, I'm still in like a very kid mindset where everything is important and I need to do everything and I need to do everything right and to a high degree of quality. And whether that be like projects, work, friendships, tidying my room, like everything I do has to it's all important but now I get to a point where it's like okay so my focus is this one thing or these two things and it's okay if everything else is kind of shitty how about you how do you deal with stress
0: generally I just like try to identify the cause and then we'll break that down so like to-do lists or like steps that I need to do are really good essentially whatever is in my life that is stressing me I can either affect it or I can't Mm. And if I can't, then I like I do my best to make my peace with that while also being like, it's okay that this continues to stress me out. Mm. Um, And if I can impact that, I figure out what I can do, what I need to do and sort of how to move forward surrounding that. So like if there's like a big project at work where I need to finish something um, and that's stressing me out, I'll just kind of break it down until it's like bite-sized chunks and achievable steps and just work through that. Mm. Um, and usually I'll make a to-do list so that I can, like, I have a visual representation of my progress because a lot of the time it can be really difficult to um essentially realize your progress of something. Like, even if you're writing something and the page count's getting bigger, mm. it's really difficult to be like, actually, I've done a lot. Um, and so – yeah like I'll have a to-do list where I cross things off as I do different things or like I did my honors year like have a sticker chart or something like that I try not to have sticker charts anymore because I work in like the corporate world um (laughs) and we have to deal with clients who think we're fancy and professional (laughs) and apparently sticker charts are not fancy and professional
1: maybe you can just get like fancier and more professional stickers yeah have secret sticker charts Mm. in the back of my diaries (laughs) it'll be good that's the main thing I do.
0: Hmm. Um, I used to go for runs when I was stressed because, again, it's that kind of like hmm. if there's if there's a reason in my life for the way I'm feeling, then it's fine. And this is kind of how my brain works. So, like, when I hit honours and I was depressed, it's like, well, fine. I'm, I'm my honours ear. Everyone around me is depressed. Mm. Um, if I'm really anxious and my heart's beating really fast, I'll go for a run. And then my brain is kind of like, yeah, of course your heart's beating fast. You've just been for a run. <laughs> um and that often calms me down quite a bit. Mm. The funniest thing though is, uh, so I got a Fitbit bit a while ago, and when I was on holiday, my resting heart rate was like fourteen beats per minute slower. Yeah, <laughs> it went from it went from sixty four down to fifty. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm actually really fit. <laughs> <laughs> and then like since I've got back, it's like slowly climbed up again, yeah. and like that's just like. I go to sleep a little bit later. I have to deal with things like bills and my mortgage. Like mm. this last week's been garbage. Like <laughs> I have to like remember to go to the supermarket and like buy food so that I can eat it. Cause I, I've opened my fridge like four times this last week and been like no. Nothing in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is stuff in there, but none of it I want to eat. Yeah. So I've like I have Greek yogurt and that's really nice. I have some carrots and but like Last week, I was all about carrots. I was snacking on carrots every day. This week, don't have time for carrots. <laughs> and, like, all of those are little things that just mean, like, my resting heart rate's a bit higher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and now Fitbit is, like, judging me. <laughs> That's the other thing as well, right? Like, it's really hard to have cookie-cutter approaches to things yeah. that allow for people's cap- capabilities. Mm-hmm. So, like, and this is my big gripe with Fitbit, right? Like, I have... A physical disability I some days cannot walk very far without my stick and Fitbit doesn't have a setting where it's like hey you know what you've done a great job you've walked 4,000 steps today good mm. job the minimum amount is that you try and hit 5,000 steps a day and like some days I just can't do that mm. right like because I'm in too much pain and I just want like a Fitbit setting that's like hey you're doing a great job <laughs> you know what you walked today you got out of bed this is a good thing yeah but instead, it's all like, what if you did more exercise? And
1: oh, it's super annoying. <laughs> so I found that, because um, I used to have a Fitbit as well, and I used to do quite a lot of very granular tracking. Very granular tracking. Yeah, tracking. I love that. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I love that as well. But I've stopped doing that because I've realized that when I track my steps and how I use my time and everything so granularly, it doesn't make me want to be better it just makes me feel bad about what I've already been doing so instead of tracking everything I've gotten rid of all of the track like I used to track um my time on the computer to the second I'd have an app that tracks like what program you're using what websites you're on and did it help me be more productive did it help me read more things and go on social media less? No, no, it didn't. It just made me feel bad for those things. So I just stopped tracking everything altogether.
0: Yeah, I think to a little bit you have to understand what you want from something. Yeah. So, like, tracking for the purpose of tracking, like, isn't necessarily a valuable or useful thing mm. because, as you said, yeah, it does stress you out. I was like, I want to track my heart rate because, like, sometimes... I feel like my heart is beating really fast, and like, particularly when I'm anxious, or just sometimes for no reason whatsoever. Good life. (laughs) Um, I feel like having something that I can check and be like, actually, my heart rate is normal will be a really important, like, psychological way to calm myself down surrounding
1: that. Mm, mm
0: -hmm. Um, Also, it was free because the place I got my mortgage with gave me like a bunch of gift points. And I got a Fitbit with them. Yeah, cool. Um, So that helped as well. I was like, oh, it's free. Might as well. Um, But like I had that sort of like goal in mind where I'm like, yeah, I do want to track my heart rate and this is the reason I want to do it. And the other thing as well, right, is like because I'm most interested in my heart rate to have a high resting heart rate is not something like that you can necessarily be mad at yourself over. Mm. You're just like, okay, I guess I'll like try to be less stressed. (laughs) (laughs) good life everyone maybe i'll drink less coffee who knows (laughs) um but like it's not it's not something that i can really attribute a clear action to whereas i think like if you're tracking your time and how much time you spend on twitter for example i've done that before (laughs) um that is something that you can feel really guilty about and sort of like not know how to fix it and i think this comes into like what you say about habits right is you can't go from like zero to a hundred but you can feel bad for not doing that and I think you have to be very careful with like tracking like what you're doing how you're spending your time how many steps you're taking to understand what your desired outcome is both in the long term and on a day-to-day to make sure that like you don't do counterproductive things to make sure that like you don't go oh, no, like, while I spent less time fucking around on Twitter today than I did yesterday, like, I still didn't spend, you know, my goal amount of time, so I mm. feel bad about that. So I want to do things that cheer me up, and maybe the thing you, that cheers you up is Twitter. I don't know who you follow, but okay. Like, <laughs> it's not a good website, guys. Just, just just follow <laughs> the dogs. The dogs and the cats um, and the otters. Emergency Kittens is such a good account. Mm. Um, I love thoughts of dog. <sighs> Okay. I have some friends who hate it, yeah. <laughs> so I try really I try really hard not to retweet it, mm. but sometimes it's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, your life gets a lot better once you understand what your goals are and you understand, like, mm. how you're goal-oriented. Because when you're not goal-oriented, like, you can feel really aimless and that can make you feel really bad. Mm. And it's okay to not have a goal, but this comes back to, like, the things I sort of say fairly often on this podcast is, like, make it a conscious decision yeah, to not have a goal. So, like, like I've been doing, lot. like, yeah, like, I've been doing a visual diary, um, which I, like, I draw in with felt tips every so often. And I do that because, like, I don't do a lot of very visual things. Like, I am very good with words, but, like, pictures, I don't know. What are they? And I wanted to make my brain work in a different way. But I don't have a goal with it. I don't have, like, a – I want to be better at drawing or whatever because – and, like, I don't have a metric to measure that either. Mm. But I've made a conscious choice to not have a goal. and mm. like, this is the thing I'm just doing. Yeah. And that's okay.
1: Um, I like that yeah. a lot. When you first said that so, in one of these podcasts, like, that changed my perspective of so many things. Thank you for that. that that's been so helpful for me. It's just to be like, I don't know. Maybe, like, I'm sleeping in today, I feel bad for sleeping in. No, 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 I'm going to make a conscious decision. Today I'm going to sleep in. And that changes how I look at my own behaviour, how I deal with my be- own behaviour, and how I have more control over my behaviour. It's-, it's just it's just been really good. <laughs> it's just been great. Aww.
0: I'm really glad it's been helping you. Yeah, it's been so good. Really, it's just, like, an extreme version of choice feminism, right? <laughs> like, I'm going to choose things, and whatever I choose, it's feminist. <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. That's that's a, that's a topic for a whole different episode. <laughs> we should do that, actually. We should, yeah, we should.
0: We should also probably wind up. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening to Things of Interest. Uh, this episode has been about resilience and mental health and how that sort of engages with like both our private lives and our social lives and our lives in the workforce. I cannot believe at no point in this episode I talked about the Four Pillars of Haora uh, so oh. I'm briefly going to do that now yes. while we wrap up. There are four pillars of. <laughs> uh, we both learned about this in school, but essentially, like something you learn growing up in New Zealand is how there are four pillars of health. Essentially, there's the taha na, which is your physical well-being, which most people think about surrounding health. There's tahe hinenaro, which is mental and emotional well-being, so that's sort of your mental health, but also just like Being chill about stuff. There's taha whano, which is your social well being, and so, like, that's the health of your social networks and how you engage with other people. And then there's also taha wairua, which is your spiritual well being, which is like essentially how your belief system and whatever beliefs you have uh, fit together, and like whether you sort of have like things like integrity between your like spiritual beliefs and like your mental and emotional well being. And because they all fit together to build sort of like haora, like, there's an idea within like um morphy health practices so horror is that they all need to work in order for you to work, if that makes sense. And I kept like thinking about it during this episode and then forgetting to say anything. And it's like it's the most important thing to realize when you're talking about health when you're talking about mental health Mm. is that like there are actually all these other aspects to health
1: yeah and they all work together and feed off each other and I mean that's a perfect note to end on so I'm just going to keep doing the wrap (laughs) (laughs)
0: um but yeah we've we've talked about like resilience as a personal thing we've talked about how um we deal with stress individually and how we've developed our resilience individually and I really hope that like You sort of go away from this episode and you're a little bit introspective and some of the things we said kind of resonated with you um we don't claim to know everything neither of us are health professionals or mental health professionals but we just have a lot of feelings Mm -hmm. and that's why we make this podcast (laughs) um (laughs) as always you can find us on twitter we're casting interest We're on Facebook as Things of Interests and you can always email us. We're castinginterest at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you liked this episode, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, any podcast app, just like leave us a review somewhere. Maybe write it down, like blow it into the wind, put it into a bottle, and don't put it into the ocean because they're full of trash and that's not good. (laughs) But just like put it into a bottle and leave it by the side of the road. Like someone will find it, they'll bring it to us. (laughs) Um, <laughs> tell a friend yes thanks Serena <laughs> I'm getting weird <laughs> I've been Sophia Friends. and
1: I'm Serena Chen and look as always stay interesting I look forward to receiving messages in a bottle